If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Well, good morning, church. So good to see all of you here today and joining us for this time of worship. And I know we have a lot of visitors here that are from out of town because of the holiday weekend. And we're just so glad you've joined us uh, in our time together this morning. Uh, if you are uh, one of our church family members, you know we've been studying through a series on New Testament worship. And I'll try to keep us, for those that are new this morning, kind of get us uh, caught up to speed. Uh, we decided some time ago to talk about just some basic principles uh, we call them first principles, the things that uh, we uh, as a church stand for and from a biblical standpoint are trying our very best to be like the New Testament church. And in order to do that, we have to look at their patterns. We look at the things that they did and we try to uh, assimilate all that information and then try to replicate it in our daily walk. In this series, we started talking about how when they met as an early church, in the first century, they didn't refer to it as going to church or to Bible study. They called it breaking bread. And that tells us that there was something special about communion when they met. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says, you know, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine of bread and prayers. And so the breaking of that bread was not a fellowship meal. That comes a little later in the text. But it says that they broke bread, meaning communion. Now, in the early church, and we can go to Acts 20 and verse 7. Uh, we can see this in 1 Corinthians 11 as Paul shares his thoughts on communion. That when they met and they broke bread, that was really the hub, if you will. They said, we're going to come together and we're going to commune together around the table. Now, we've already done that this morning. And we spent some time a few weeks ago on a whole lesson on that subject. But there were other things that they did when they were gathered together as a church. These we call acts of worship. Now, we've already previously talked about the need for reading or preaching or teaching of God's Word. This is where God speaks. We open up the Scriptures, we read it, we study it together, and we then take that information and say, this is what God wants me to do in my daily life. So it applies to worship, it applies to our daily walk and every facet in between. We also talked about last week the idea of being able to pray together in the public assembly. Even though we all have individual prayer lives, and we know from looking at Paul's words, the Thessalonians were supposed to pray without ceasing. And so it means we're constantly engaged in prayer. We're praying for friends, we're praying for loved ones, situations, our own health, whether it be finances, whatever we may be going through. We take that and we lay it down at the foot of the cross. We go to God in prayer 
And we ask him to bless us, to watch over us, take care of us. Uh, Whatever the topic is, it's important for us personally to offer those things. But as the church met, they also prayed publicly. So this means that in some churches we'll have, we have it here, a prayer list in the bulletin. And we will pray as we begin our worship. We'll pray as we end our worship. And we may periodically through the service mention some of those individuals that are on our prayer list. And something powerful happens when the church comes together to do these things because it changes our mindset. In fact, when we leave here this morning, we will probably still be singing some of the songs. We may be uh, recalling some of the scriptures that have been used. We'll focus a little bit on some of our thoughts from the table uh, when we leave here this morning. And so all these things culminate in what we see as New Testament worship. So this morning we now come to singing. Now, I, of course, being, I've been raised in the church, and, and I love singing. Uh, I know that it, when I was a, in high school, and I went to junior high, too, and I went to church camp, that was one of my favorite things to do. I still don't understand, and nobody ever explained to me why we did bonfires in the middle of the summer in southwest Missouri heat, but we would go, and we'd gather around these big bonfires, and we'd just melt out there. Uh, and In fact, you didn't even have to put the s'mores over the fire. The chocolate melted itself on the way, too the Devo area, but we would go and we'd sing around this, this circle, and we didn't even have songbooks. We would just circle up around this bonfire, and we would sing, and what was really interesting, I remember, and, and this, this is something that all those great memories of, of my younger years, you probably have these too, is uh, of all of my friends being present in that place, and as we began to sing, we didn't have a song leader, we didn't have a songbook, Uh, In fact, we just pretty much, whatever was on our heart, we just kept singing until finally the counselor said, hey, we got to go to bed. But those are some of the greatest memories I ever had as a young person. It's one of the reasons why I was attracted to ministry and serving in the Lord's kingdom, because I thought, man, I get so much out of this week of camp that I want to just carry that into my daily walk. I want every day to be like church camp. It was so much fun. And again, as I had all my friends together there around the bonfire and we would sing, those songs I would take with me home and I would, those would echo in my mind, they reverberate in my heart about all the great things that we had sung together. There's something special about singing. Now I'll tell you this morning before we get into some scripture references that if the Bible commands us to sing, we should sing. It doesn't say exactly how we should sing. You ever had somebody tell you, I don't like to sing, or maybe you've said this, I don't like to sing because I, I don't have, didn't do a great job. I had one man tell me, well, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. And I said, well, there's probably a lot of us like that. But you know, we sing because God has commanded us to do it, and it comes from our heart, from our inner being. There may be times throughout your day where you just start humming a tune or, or singing a song that you've reflected on. It's hard, very hard for me to turn on the radio and not want to sing along. Because if I know the song, it's just like it's there and I'm going to sing. So in the early church, when they met together, they could not help but sing psalms. Now, what are the psalms? We'll look at that from Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and, and from Colossians chapter 3, that they're singing the books that are in our Old Testament. You may already know this, but Psalms is actually five songbooks. And each of those songbooks culminate in those 150 Psalms to revolve around the five different books in the Torah. 
So the first section of the Psalms reveals things that were related to Genesis. It's about creation. It's about man, humanity. The second book is about the Exodus. So the second book of Psalms talks about how they were led out of Egypt. And you say, why does nearly every Psalm have to remind us of that? Well, that's what they wanted the congregation to sing in the Old Testament. The next book is about Leviticus, so it'll talk about worship. Those next sections of Psalms will talk about uh, sacrifice. The fourth section of those Psalms in our book include those that are dealing with numbers. So it talks about how they had been led out into the wilderness. And then the last book of Psalms is about Deuteronomy. And so it focuses on renewing our vision of the law, understanding better the commands of God. And so they took that, which again is five songbooks compiled into one. We call it the book of Psalms. They sang those things every time that they were together. Now, it's not, in not just that. They also sang, in addition to that, some other songs. In fact, Paul will talk about that here in Ephesians chapter 5, which we'll see in a moment. But they gather together around what we call the hub. They're communing. They're taking the Lord's Supper, and they did these things. Well, what do we know about singing in worship? First of all, we need to know why they did it. What's the significance of singing now, if we go to Jesus' ministry and we see some of the things that he did and how he, he conducted himself around his disciples, he did sing with his disciples. In fact, at the Last Supper, which uh, you know, Brandon mentioned this morning in our time together in, in communion, in Matthew 26, as Jesus is in the garden scene there, he's praying earnestly for uh, his disciples, the Bible tells us that he, previous to that, instituted the Lord's Supper. And he told them, I need you to take this every time you're together in my name, which is what we do. But it tells us also that as they were leaving that assembly and making their way up to the mountain where he would pray, literally sweating drops of blood in that prayer in the garden, it says that they left and they sang a hymn as they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, you may not have noticed that before. We kind of gloss over it. But as they were together, they're probably singing Psalm 118. These are the psalms of ascents. These are the psalms they would sing on their way to worship. And so they're concluding the Passover meal, and they're singing together. So when Jesus was with his disciples, we know that they sang, and they probably sang the hymns of the Old Testament. In the early church, they did the same thing. They carry this in with the disciples. Of course, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, Acts 2.42. They would sing together. They would make melody together as a congregation. Now, there's nothing wrong with us singing individually, personally, just like there's nothing wrong with us praying individually, personally at home, but something special about us blending our voices in one assembly. The significance of singing is allowing yourself to be the sacrifice. Now, in the book of Romans, Paul will talk a lot about personal sacrifice. He even says in chapter 12, 1 and 2, that we're to be a living sacrifice. So just as a sacrifice in the Old Testament was to be laid down on the altar, we're to offer our own lives, to lay our own lives down and live for Christ. And so we use what God has given us. We use our voice to lift praise up to God. In our time together in class this morning, and we'll do this again tonight, we're going through and noticing historically how things have changed from the first century. In the early church, when they sang, they came together, they sang their hymns, and then they departed. They did not use any additional things in worship. They only sang. There are some churches today that will use instruments of music. 
It started out in the late 1500s of trying to introduce an organ. Slowly it went to piano and uh, guitars and all kinds of things. Um, and now some churches even have dance teams. You know, you think, what's that about? But it's about entertainment. And so things continue to be added to, some religious groups do this. They add things all the time to make it more entertaining, to make it more uh, attractive, I guess you'd say, to people that are wanting to find a place to, to worship or to, to join. But the New Testament church didn't do any of that. They laid all those things aside. Under the old law, they had the harps, they had the lyres, they had the, uh, the trumpets, they had all those, those stringed instruments. And we know, of course, the New Testament church did not. There's not a single example or command where they did that. Instead, we're told they just assembled, they communed, and they sang. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul will use the, the idea of singing with the understanding. We talked about praying with the understanding last week. But he also says sing with the understanding. And then to add a little bit more to the understanding of the way worship is to work, he says in verse 40 of that same text that we're to do things decently and in order. In other words, it's to be organized, it's to be structured, it's to be planned, it's to be something that we collectively together do. Every person is singing. It's very hard to have everybody participate when there's one person that's playing something. In fact, I've been at places before, not church services, but certain events, and uh, you'll hear the playing of the instrument, and you don't even know when your part is to come in, because it's da 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 and you're like, okay, well, do I sing now? Do I sing, do I sing now? Um, but in the New Testament church, they didn't do that. They just simply opened their mouths, and they sang their hymns. One other thing we know about the early church is the word acapella that's used, and I shared this in class, is a Roman term. It's actually a Latin word. Uh, Romans use this, and it's a foundational principle of the Roman Catholic Church even, that the term acapella means in the way of the church or in the way of the chapel. And so when you sang a cappella, that's the way the church did it. And that was well known for thousands of years, that they just simply sang. They poured their heart into their worship. They didn't pluck anything. They didn't play anything. They didn't beat on anything. They just simply opened their mouths and they sang. So the early church sang together collectively. Let me show you two verses of scripture that might help understand this. One is in Ephesians chapter 5, and we see this down in verse 19. In order to get the context, I'll read a couple of verses before and after as well. He says here, beginning at verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, uh, pardon me, I'm in chapter 4. <laughs> Let me go back to chapter, chapter 5. Back up to verse, um, let's go to verse 15. See that then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. So Paul in this section of scripture is he's building on this case of previously you're a new man, you're a new creature in Christ. What you do now 
is in the example of Jesus. So the old law, they had certain things that are no longer functioning, no longer necessary. It's been fulfilled. It's been nailed to the cross. And he says, now as you worship, do things where you do it in the will of God. Why do we do it? And we say sometimes that we need a thus saith the Lord. I need a, an example, a biblical pattern to follow in order to be exactly like the New Testament church. I want to be like Jesus. And so here he says, if you're going to walk in the light, if you're going to be wise... And you're going to do things the way God has commanded. You can't do it in a spirit that God disapproves of. So he says, instead of you outliving your life as a Gentile and, and drinking and partying and dancing or whatever the Gentiles did, he said, instead, you need to be like this. And he talks about instead of being filled with other things that are going to be temporary, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is to be permanent. That is that we're to be filled with the Spirit of God to lead us to do spiritual things. Because if you're in Christ, Galatians 5 says that as you're in Christ, you bear the fruit of the Spirit. And so we begin to do things the way Jesus did, the way God has instructed, because the Spirit is planting love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control inside of us. And that's what's coming out. And in doing this, by being filled with the Spirit, he says you will, quote, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that is that we sing together as a congregation so that everyone is edified. Now, what would happen if our song leader decided to get up, if Nathan or Orlando come up here and they just sing a solo? Is there edification? Is there a, a, a message that's being communicated to the church that everyone is equal? Or is it that we have isolated one voice and said, this is the voice we want to hear. We don't want to hear anything else but this one person. You see, together, Paul says you worship as a family, as a congregation. You're speaking, you're teaching, you're communicating to one another about the love of God. There are a few little kids, I won't single them out, but I love to hear our children sing. And some of them sing very loudly, and I, I love it, I eat it up. I love to hear our, our children, and when you come to Vacation Bible School, you'll hear them singing at the top of their lungs. They have, they have this essence, this innocence of just wanting to sing, and they could care less what they sound like. That is what God is looking for when we come together as a church. He wants to hear the expression of our heart. He wants us to fill this room with praise that is due to Him. In the Old Testament, there's a phrase that's used in Psalms that says God inhabits our praise. That means literally as we lift up our voices to the heavens, that God dwells in it. He lives in it. He pitches his tent inside of that praise. He makes that praise that we lift up his home. And that's, that's an awesome thought because if you go back and look at the temple when it is established there of worship and Solomon puts the last nail in, to that temple and they come together to worship, it says that the Spirit poured into that temple like smoke pouring into that temple, filling that place. And now together in the New Testament church, we in our songs fill, if you will, a spiritual temple. Our whole body is the temple of God. And then we collectively as individual temples of God praise towards, lifts towards heaven and God lives in it. He dwells in it. And so he loves to hear us when we sing. Let me give you another one. This is in Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, and I'll give you again the context, let's begin back up at verse 12. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, which 
Translated also patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which God also, or to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The early church sang collectively songs, hymns, spiritual songs to let grace radiate out of them in the assembly. And it's a beautiful thing to sing these different songs that we have. And I love, I love being able to sing uh, during an assembly. In fact, sometimes uh, we, we, we have, may even have more songs than the sermon, and that's okay. But we love to hear good singing. God loves to hear our singing, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to make uh, melody and to sing to show grace in our hearts. Did you ever notice how both in Ephesians and in Colossians, the expression is meant of our heart, whatever is in our heart. You know, the Bible teaches us that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And inside of our hearts dwell good things and sometimes bad things. So God is saying to us, focus on good this morning. Focus on grace. Focus on love. Focus on filling this place with honor and praise to which God is truly due. In James chapter 5, James tells his readers there that if you're happy, you should sing. Sing about it. If you're sad, you can pray, you can weep, but if you're happy, you need to sing. You need to, as my dad used to say, let it rip, you know, just let it go. So what do we do? What are we called to do as Christians? Well, the Bible is very clear about us not adding to or taking away from the Word of God. And we know that. We see that in several places, specifically at the end of Revelation. Now, he says the words of the book of prophecy of this book, but the emphasis is to not just what God has said there, because God has spoken from Matthew all the way to Revelation. But there are even passages in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy, we can read this, that we're not supposed to add or take away from the will of God. Well, what has God asked us to do? He's asked us to do things uh, in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4. He's asked us to do things with the Spirit and in understanding, 1 Corinthians 14, 15. He's asked us to do it decently in order, chapter 15 or 14 and verse 40 of 1 Corinthians. He's asked us to sing and make melody in our hearts. He's asked us to and commanded us through his word to be able to praise him with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we know that by doing that, we're pleasing God. Now, let me ask this question as we conclude this morning. If we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's word is precious and true, right? Amen? And we know that God's word is the final authority, and God has commanded us what to do, then what happens if we do something he has not commanded? If we choose to do something that he has not told us to do, uh, it is classified oftentimes in scripture as vain worship or ignorant worship. But if we want to be the church of the New Testament, if we want to be followers of Jesus Christ, then we follow the will of God in Christ Jesus. And so we study the New Testament. Well, what does the New Testament say that they did? Well, they sang 
They made melody in their hearts. They sang psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So if we want to be like that church in the New Testament, that's the way that we have to do it. We don't want to add to it. We don't want to take away. And I'll tell you, there's some great joy in knowing that we're doing our very best to fulfill the will of God. Because on the day of judgment, when he approaches us and we face the great white throne, he will say to those that are faithful, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's what we want to hear. We want, to say, well, we want him to say, well done, good job, you did great, you did what I commanded you to do. We don't want to hear anything other than that. So we fulfill the will of God. We do what he commands us to do and not what men command us to do. In addition to our worship, we're supposed to become a New Testament Christian. In order to be saved, to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible lays out this plan. In the book of Acts, it doesn't just outline what they're supposed to do in worship. It outlines what they need to do to be saved. And the question is asked in Acts, Acts chapter 2. The statement is made in Acts chapter 8. The question is asked in Acts 16. What do I need to do to be saved? And of course, the command of Philip and of Peter and of Paul are all the same. That you need to, as he says in Acts 2, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. So I tell you this morning, if you want to be a part of the New Testament church, and you want to be covered by the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice on the cross that was meant to replace you, to take your spot, then you need to come and confess the name of Christ. Because I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And based on my confession, I choose to prove it by repentance. I'm not going to do what God has told me not to do. And then I am going to, by my repentance, live a faithful Christian life. When I come out of that water, the Bible tells us that we are covered by the blood of Christ. That means when you go down to that water, just like they did in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 8 and chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 16, 17 and on. When you see what they did, they came up and they walked a new life. They were new creatures in Christ Jesus. In John chapter 4... When Jesus is telling them to worship in spirit and in truth, if you'll back up to chapter 3, when he tells Nicodemus that if you want to be in the kingdom, you've got to be born of water and spirit, that's what Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2. And if you want to be a New Testament Christian today, we invite you to come and have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. If you need prayer, we as a New Testament church want to pray with you and encourage you because we're in this together. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.